Boy, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> now, that doesn't bless your heart, then your blesser's broken this morning, okay? And uh, why are we why are we here? It's Jesus. Because of what he's done. And this room is a testament to that fact right there. And every one of us has a testimony uh, to some degree. And boy, it's a blessing to be able to, to hear that truth sung in song there. So much wonderful truth there. Matthew chapter 4 in your Bibles. If you're there, say amen. amen. Matthew chapter 4 will begin in verse number 18 um, this morning. Matthew 4, 18. The Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. A very important passage of scripture here this morning. We're going to learn from this first moment when Jesus called his first disciples what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads together and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. We do not take this opportunity lightly. Lord, you know the time that has been put into this moment by faithful men who gathered for, for men's prayer and asked for your blessing upon it, by those who are praying even now for you to speak to hearts and speak to, to each one of our hearts individually, for the study and the preparation and all of these things so that your vision could go forth, so that your word could accomplish what it alone could do, break hardened hearts in pieces like rock, Lord. The seed of your word being planted could grow to bring forth much fruit in the lives of these people who are here and all of us need what you have for us today at whatever level we're at in spiritual development. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work as only you can, Lord. Let it be your word, not mine. And I pray that none of us would, would have our hearts hindered from being ministered to by any device of Satan, by any uh, anything that's going on in our mind and our hearts right now, but that we would be willing and ready to receive the word that you have for us this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name and by his power. Amen and amen. Simple question to start off with this morning. Why are we here? Why do we have church? What's the purpose of church? Why do we gather here on a weekly basis? There are so many religious organizations that are gathering all over this city, this county, this country, and this world today. And each one of them has their own list of reasons for why they assemble, why they exist. And as I was thinking about this, the truth is the vast majority of Religious institutions, or we could say churches, exist today for one purpose, to please people. They cater to their crowd. And so they form their programs 
They form their worship services. They form everything that they do to cater to what they feel like people want. And this is something that has become very pervasive in our day and time. Some people would call it a seeker-sensitive type of ministry where you're all about trying to make the church work for the people. And perhaps you have seen or heard something of that before. But many today, they've seen through this guise of religion. They see that it's just a shell. They see that it's just something that people are trying to put together to please a certain crowd and get people to come into a building and to assemble. And so what do many of them do? Well, they say, I'm done with the church. And they stop coming. And in fact, I've, heard, I've had many people say to me, well, you know, I can worship God on a mountain. I don't need to come to a building. And they come up with all of these reasons. And many of them, I think, justifiably come to that place because of the carnival, the circus that they've seen in churches that they have attended. And yet, in so doing, they cease to understand and cease to fulfill the very purpose for which the Lord shed His blood to provide to us the local church. And that is a sad place for someone to come to. But here's the question. What is a church supposed to be? Well, I think all of us could probably give our own answer for what we think that may very well be. But we go to the Scripture. You know the name church in the Bible? It's a translation from the Greek word ekklesia. And it literally means a called out assembly. Now that's what the name church means, a called out assembly. Um, and it, it wasn't a word that was solely dedicated to church as we know it today, where people who are Christian gather together to worship the Lord and, and study God's word. And even in the New Testament, the word church was actually used in one occasion to refer to the people of Israel. And this is why. Here's another definition of the word church. The complete definition is that church is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place. Originally, the word church was just, it was a, a word that was used, ecclesia was a word that was used to refer to a group of people who got out of their homes and they gathered together into some sort of public assembly. And that word has become something that uh, was, was passed down to the church of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. We understand we are not Israel. We are the disciples of Jesus Christ. And so the church that Jesus established is something different entirely. What brings us together in this assembly is not our tribe, not our nation, not our race, all right? Not our politics, because honestly, there are people from all different races in this room, all different political persuasions in this room, all different types of backgrounds and histories and all of those types of things. What brings us together is not any of these man-made divisions. What brings us together is Jesus. I don't, I don't agree with you on a lot of things probably. And you probably don't agree with me on a lot more things. Some of you heard me preach from Genesis 19 last week. You're like, I don't agree with you on a lot of things, Pastor. And that's okay. We don't have to. But what brings us together in this room is a common faith 
in Jesus Christ. We gather together because we have each been compelled ourselves to follow Jesus. And furthermore, as we've grown, to encourage others to do the same. I was sitting in my office. I was listening to Brother Ken share his testimony. I'd never heard the whole, whole testimony before, Brother Ken. It blessed my heart to hear about how he came to faith in Jesus and how through the years the Lord has grown him in that faith. All of us have a similar story. And what has brought us all together today is that common faith in Jesus Christ and a, a something within us that compels us to desire to want to share that faith and grow in that faith with other like-minded believers. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, "...to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but to exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching." God told us not to forsake the assembly because there's this one, Jesus, who compels us as the called out assembly to continue to come together as God's people. And so simply put, a church is a group of people who have chosen to follow Jesus. And throughout history, followers of Jesus have been called by many names. The most common name is Christian. But originally... The individuals who decided to follow Jesus were not called Christian. That was a name the world gave to followers of Jesus later on. You know what the original name for followers of Jesus, what it was? Disciple. The word disciple, it's a Greek word, methetis, and it simply speaks of a learner or a pupil. We could call students in a school disciples. They're being taught. They're being educated. A disciple is simply a, a learner. It's a, a, another way that we could put it is they are disciples, are followers. It's a literal definition of a disciple. And so the fact is, it is someone who follows the person and principles of Jesus that can be called a disciple of Jesus. And so get this. If the church is, or, or at least if the church is supposed to be a gathering of disciples then, then it would be prudent for us to truly understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it? I think that's important for each one of us to establish in our own minds today. And so here's the question. Are you a disciple? Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? If you say that you are, what does it mean to be a disciple then? I want us to turn our attention on for just a little while from the scriptures this morning. And so to understand this fully, we need to go back to where the church started. You understand the church didn't start at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. The church began when these disciples of Jesus began to be called out. That's what church means, a called out assembly. The church began when Jesus started calling out his disciples. The church began in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus called those First, disciples here. And so important for us to understand. Now, before we get into the passage we just read, I think it's important we understand some context. So I want you to take your Bible, go to Matthew 4 and verse number 12. Look down at verse number 12 with me. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Matthew 4 and verse 12. The Bible says in verse 12, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Now let me just stop here to remind you, this John that's being spoken of here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' earthly cousin, born from Mary's uh, sister Elizabeth. 
And the Bible had long prophesied that John was going to come as a forerunner for the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And a forerunner was someone who would, who would come before a king and begin to sound out a proclamation. He was a herald that the king was coming. The king was coming. That's what John the Baptist's ministry, his whole life was about, was announcing the fact that the Messiah was about to come. As John himself said in John chapter 3 and verse 30 about Jesus, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And so we begin to see that as John passes off the scene, the heralds already sounded out the cry, the king's coming, Jesus is coming. As John's ministry fades, Jesus' ministry is just starting to begin. And this is what we see happening here in the scripture. Moving on to verse 13. The Bible goes on to say in verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, and Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region in the shadow of death, light is sprung up. You understand this morning, when Jesus stepped on the scene in the pages of Scripture here, the Bible says it was like a bright light that began to shine in a very dark world. That was Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And Jesus indeed was that when he came into this world. John chapter 1 and verse number 9 tells us about Jesus, that he was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. I like that. Every man. Every man has experienced the light of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. He lights every man that comes into the world. And so Jesus said this of himself. And so we see that as the light of Jesus began to shine here on the pages of history, the people who were lost in the darkness of their sins, listen, they began to see a ray of hope. And notice what then began to happen in verse 17. As the light of Christ began to shine, verse 17, this is so critical for context. Verse 17, let's read it all out loud together. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' earthly ministry began with the gospel of the kingdom. With the gospel of the kingdom. You say, what do you mean by that? We see, it was time for Israel to have a change of mind. The first thing he said was, Repent. The word repent means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action or direction. And Jesus first said repent. And what was needing to happen was that it was time for Israel to have a change of mind because the, the dominion of their Messiah was about to be established. And Jesus began to preach this gospel of the kingdom right here from the beginning of his ministry. You see, Israel had thought that their Messiah that had long been promised to come was going to come and establish a physical kingdom. They thought their, their Messiah was going to come and, and overthrow Rome who was ruling over them and give them back their homeland and, and make, make their government established and make them not under the authority of another governmental system. That's what they thought their Messiah was going to do, come and give them a, a physical kingdom. But Jesus began to come and preach this gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom he was talking about was not a physical kingdom, but it was a spiritual kingdom. 
As Jesus said Himself in Luke chapter 17, Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now that was a revolutionary mindset. Jesus began to communicate this gospel of the kingdom. And get this, Jesus' preaching was aimed to bring people to the end of trusting in the law so they would be brought to believe in His finished work alone. All throughout the New Testament, in the parables, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took the Old Testament law and brought it to a different level. The law said, don't murder your, bro- your brother. Don't murder your neighbor. Jesus said, if you even hate your neighbor, it's just as good as if you'd murdered him. You're just as guilty. And Jesus took all these things and took them to a different level. What was he trying to do? He was trying to convince the people of Israel who thought that they could be justified by the law that they never had any hope of ever being justified by the law. Why? So they come to the end of themselves and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. By the way, that's still the only way to salvation. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, but in the name of Jesus. Jesus' way is the only way to salvation. And so Jesus came to establish, what Jesus came to establish was within the hearts of all of those who would believe and follow Him. And listen to me, perhaps there needs to be this repentance in your own life today. This change of mind in your own life today. Now don't lose me here. Many of you have grown up thinking you could be accepted by God by sitting in a room like this. Or by getting in some water like that. Or by joining a church. Or by living a good life. Friend, the Bible tells us if you keep the whole law and you offend in one point, you're guilty of it all. The fact is, we're all sinners. And we will never be seen as righteous before God by our own efforts. It is never going to happen. But that is why Jesus came. And perhaps the same gospel that Jesus preached to these Jews, there's application for you today as well, that there needs to be a repentance. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. But I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He died to pay for my sins. And He was buried. And He rose again. And today, if you would be willing to put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, not your works, not your church, not your baptism, not any of those other things. Today, if you will put your faith in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, you can be saved. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He hath saved us. And so the Bible makes very clear. In fact, John 14 verse 6, Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible is explicitly clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And so get this. This is where I'm coming with this. To become a disciple of Jesus, you you must first have a change of mind about whatever you've been trusting in. Because if you've been following religion, if you've been following a church, if you've been following anything but Jesus, your first step is to stop following that and to start 
trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, friend, that's how you become a disciple. That's, that's the process. That's the change of mind, the repentance that needs to take place in your own mind to be able to accept the call of Christ to follow him. That's so critical that you understand this morning. And so we see that the stage for Jesus' earthly ministry was set by preaching the gospel of the kingdom here. You see, he came to call people out from their sin. He came to call people out from their vain attempts to make themselves righteous. Jesus came to call people out of darkness and into His marvelous light. The Bible says He came to call people, people like you and like me, out from following all these other things to follow Him and to follow Him alone. And that is the essence of true discipleship. And so he has called you, friend, and especially if you've never put your faith in Jesus truly, he's called you to put your trust in him and him alone as Lord and Savior. That's where discipleship, being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, truly begins. And we'll see that emphasized more and more as we continue on. But I want you to notice in verse 19, if you look down at your Bible here, as Jesus began to preach and teach this, this good news, and it was indeed good news, although it wasn't always received like that. When he began to preach this good news, he immediately, in doing so, invited others to follow him. Verse 19. And he saith unto them, these men he met, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Will you read out loud with me what he said there? He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is where the church began. When Jesus began calling his disciples to follow him. And by the way, we understand that in the context of what the Scripture says here, but can I go so much further to say that this is where your journey of discipleship will begin as well, of being a disciple of Jesus? It's going to begin when you hear the call of Christ to follow Him by faith, trusting in what He has done for you, and begin to follow what He teaches from His Word. And today, Jesus is still inviting people like you to follow Him. And I'm glad that he is doing so, even to this day. And so a disciple is simply someone who follows Jesus. And so are you a disciple of Jesus? It's a simple question this morning. And as we look here in the Scriptures at verses 18 through 22, we're going to notice the first people who chose to follow Jesus. The first people who became disciples. And from then we're going to discover Three choices that every disciple of Jesus will make. Three choices. And I want you to notice the first one with me here. The first choice the disciple of Jesus will make is the choice to follow. The choice to follow. Now, notice how Jesus initiated the invitation to follow here in verse number 18. In verse 18, the Bible says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Down in verse number 21. The Bible goes on to say, And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Now, it's always interesting to me. Uh, you never get the full picture from one of the Gospels. We just read one account of when Jesus called his disciples there. But if you look at the other accounts in and, and Mark and Luke and John, it sheds more light on exactly what took place here. For example, in John chapter 1, we discover that this was not Simon Peter 
and Andrew's first encounter with Jesus. They'd seen him before. In fact, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was taken off the scene, there was one particular story in John chapter 1 where the Bible says that Jesus, when he came to get baptized, uh, Andrew saw Jesus. And boy, he was following John, but when he saw Jesus, he said, I want to go follow that guy. And he began to follow Jesus. And he got so excited about what he learned from that experience with Jesus that day that he ran and told his brother, Simon, who later is called Peter by Jesus. And he said, Simon, we, we found the Messiah. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this about this guy. And, and then over in Luke chapter 4, we find out that Jesus was in Simon, Simon's house. The Bible says that, that Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And he still chose to follow him. That's what's amazing about it. But he healed his mother-in-law. And so they had already seen Jesus' miraculous power. They had already seen that demonstrated. And then when we come to here to Matthew chapter 4, we find that right before Jesus called them, another passage of Scripture makes this very clear, that Jesus had miraculously enabled them to enclose a huge multitude of fishes. They, they had been out fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus said, go ahead and cast the net back in. They cast the net back in. And lo and behold... There was such a great number of fish being caught. Their nets started to break. They had to call their partners, James and John, to come help them. And their ships started to sink. And it was an unbelievable miracle that took place. So all of these things took place. And I'm telling you something. These men had already began to be convinced in their own minds that Jesus was the Messiah. This all happened before he ever said to Simon Peter and to Andrew, follow me. Before he ever called James and John. And so we see the dynamic of what was taking place here in the Scripture. But again, he said in verse number 19, and I want you to look at it with me. After all this took place, he simply said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now just think about what Jesus was inviting them to here. The first thing he said was, follow me. He invited them to be conducted by him, to be led by him. They, he invited them to follow him no questions asked. And then he said, if you follow me, I will make you. So not only did he invite them to be led by him, but now he invited them to be changed by him. I'm going to make you something that you aren't. You see that taking place here. And then the third thing we see him say, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now, these disciples who had been invited to be conducted by Christ, been invited to be changed by Christ. Now they're, being, now they're being invited to be commissioned by Christ. I'm going to make you, instead of being fishers of fish, fishers of men. I'm going to change your purpose statement for your life. Think about the, the greatness of what Christ was calling them to here in this moment in time. And can I say this? It hasn't changed today how the Lord is that the Lord continues to call us to follow Him. I think, I think this is in your notes, but when you think about the, the call that Jesus gives to every one of us, we find that it is a, the choice to follow Jesus is, number one, a choice to let Jesus conduct you. It's a choice to let Jesus lead you. 
He wants to be the leader. You don't, you're not in charge. You don't get to call the shots. You don't get to say what you're supposed to believe. It's what Jesus says in his word. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. A disciple is one who's led by the Spirit of God, led by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a choice to follow Jesus. is a choice to let Jesus have the lead. But number two, we find that it is a choice to let Jesus change you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And God is calling you through the ministry of Christ working in your heart to literally, hey, the call to follow Jesus is to make a choice to allow him to transform transform your life. Hey, you're never going to be found righteous going your own way anyways. You might as well let Jesus transform you. You might as well choose to follow Jesus and let him do the change. So many people, they try many self-help methods to change their own lives, but I'm here to tell you this morning, only Jesus can bring true transformation. So it's a choice to let Jesus lead you. It's a choice to let Jesus change you. But we find also it's a choice to let Jesus commission you. Before Jesus left this world in Mark 16, 15, he told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You understand the disciples of Jesus Christ, they were given a new mission. They were given a new purpose for living, a new commission from the Lord. And this all is encapsulated in the simple call from Jesus when he said to follow me. So following Jesus, it entails a little bit more than what we might have thought from the outset. But a disciple is one who's made the choice to follow. The second thing I want you to see this morning is this. And second choice every disciple of Jesus will make, the second choice is a choice to forsake. Now, notice what happened after Jesus called each one of these disciples next. In verse 20, the Bible says of Peter and Andrew, that they straightway left their nets and what? They left their nets and they followed him. I don't have long to park here, but these nets, they're a picture of something. They're a picture of Peter and Andrew's livelihood. They were fishers. That, that was a picture of, of, of their source of income, if you would. And the fact is, we already learned that when Jesus did the miracle right before he called them, they encapsulated so many fishes and, 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 and from, from the miracle that Jesus did, that their nets started to break. And so another passage of Scripture tells us that they were mending their nets. They were fixing their nets when Jesus called them. And it just made me think this week, and this was a blessing to my heart, sometimes Jesus must break you of what you are depending on most in order to compel you to follow Him. In other words, Jesus has just shown them His great power, and they're sitting there with these, these dirty old nets trying to fix them. And Jesus offers them something so much better in exchange. Why don't you follow me? I've got a new purpose for you. I'll make you fishers of men. Can I tell you something? There's no better purpose to which to live your life than the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus invited them to call him. And in making the choice to follow Jesus, it consequentially meant that these disciples also had to make a choice to forsake something else. For Peter and Andrew, they had to forsake their profession their source of income, their livelihood. That's a big ask right there. Let's go on to verse number 21 because we see it got even more real for James and John. The Bible says, and going on from thence in verse 21, he sold two brethren, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, that's a different story for James and John. James and John, they were in the ship. They were fishermen, and they were with their father. When Jesus called them, what Jesus was calling them, when he called them to follow him, what Jesus was calling them to do was not just to leave their profession, but to leave their inheritance. Hey, to leave their identity. They were fishers, fishermen. Their dad was a fisherman. It was the family business. You're asking me to break the chain here. They had to forsake their earthly identity. There was a lot that Jesus was asking them to do here, but understand something, to make the choice to follow Jesus will sometimes mean you're going to have to let some old ideas die. You can't follow Jesus and stay in the ship with your father. That's the emphasis of what's being brought across to us in the scriptures here. And what I love about their response is as we read about it, in, in their response, verse 22, it says, And they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. They had experienced Jesus' power. They believed in who this person was, that he was the Messiah. And we find it compelled them to leave their profession, their tradition, their earthly identity, and even their inheritance in order to become followers of Jesus. And what I love about Peter and Andrew's response, and what I love about James and John's response is, is how we see they made this choice to forsake. See, the Bible in both of them tells us that they, they forsook it all and they followed Jesus. But the Bible tells us exactly how. In verse 20 and verse 22, it says they did so straightway and immediately. See, what the Bible tells us is they, they didn't hesitate to make this choice. They, they were persuaded of who Jesus was, and there was no hesitation on their part. They were going to follow him. They were going to make the choice to, to follow Jesus Christ. The second thing we see about how they made this choice to forsake is that they didn't hold back in making this choice. You see, verses 20 and 22 both tell us they left their nets, they left their ship, they left their father. They didn't keep one foot in the ship and one foot following Jesus. That's not possible anyways, by the way. But no, they didn't hold back anything. They made the choice to jump all in and go and follow Jesus. Can I tell you, Jesus is worthy of our following. Jesus is worthy of us forsaking all our old ideas and our old identity and going all in to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to me on this. This is important. Being a disciple of Jesus is an all or nothing venture. It's all or nothing. You're either following him completely or you're not. It's an all or nothing venture. And truth be told, you won't lose anything of eternal consequence if you make the choice to simply forsake everything else and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. I like why one person put this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need anything else. You need Him. You need Him. And that's the essence of discipleship right there. And so understand the choice to forsake is the natural consequence of the choice to follow. You know, you can, you can, you can only follow one person at a time. Now, I don't have time to go into this illustration. But imagine with me, I get two people up here, okay? Two people up here. I ask one person to walk in that direction, one person to walk in that direction, and I, I tell you to follow both of them. 
going to be pretty hard, isn't it? In fact, I'd really like to see that. If you can do that, I, I really need to see that. The essence is you can't follow two people. You can't go in two directions at the same time. And so if I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, that means whatever I've been following, I'm going to have to cease following. There's a choice to forsake. There's a choice to follow, we see from the Scriptures, but that's followed finally by the choice to find. The choice to find. Now, notice back in verse number 19, Along with the invitation to follow him, Jesus extended a promise here of what would take place when they chose to do so. Let's read it out loud together again because some of you are getting sleepy this morning. All right? Verse number 19. It says, And he saith unto them, Now, that's how sleepy you're getting. You're not even reading with me, all right? Let's try it again together. Verse 19. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He said, follow me, and they followed that promise, or he followed that statement with the promise. Invited them to follow me, and he said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so if these men would just choose to follow him, Jesus promised to make of them something they weren't before, fishers of men. The journey of discipleship, the journey of a disciple, it starts with following Jesus. Thank God it's so simple. But as you continue in the journey of being a disciple, you will eventually come to a place that God will begin to work in your heart by His Spirit through His Word, through biblical teaching, through other disciples who begin to mentor you and help you to grow in your faith. And as you continue as a disciple of Christ, God's Spirit will begin to work in you. And what is inevitably going to happen is God is going to make of you something that you weren't before. The disciple will become a discipler. All of a sudden, you will be being used by God to help other people grow and become followers of Jesus. Can I say that was always God's intention from the very beginning? That was always the way He designed for the church to operate? You see, there's a little diagram in your outline here this morning. It starts at the top with a simple thing. You can write in there, make disciples. Make. Just write the word make. Make disciples. And as you become a disciple of Christ, the next part of the process is that you begin to mature. Mature believers. You begin to mature as a believer and to grow in your faith and even being able to understand what the Scripture teaches and even come to the place where you begin to be able to communicate what you believe from the Scriptures. And that leads to a third phrase where you begin to multiply ministry. Now, someone told you about the Gospel and you trusted Christ and you began to grow in your faith and now there's two of you who have the opportunity to tell two other people about the Gospel and how they can know Jesus, and they become disciples of Jesus, and they begin to grow in their faith. And now two becomes four, and then four becomes eight, and so on and so forth. And that's how God designed for the truth of the gospel through His New Testament church to be spread 
throughout our communities, throughout our cities, throughout our nation, throughout our world. As we understand this important aspect of the great impact of discipleship. See, listen to me. God used someone to reach you with the gospel. Think about it. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, who was it that God used to communicate the gospel to you? Was it a pastor? Was it a friend? Was it a parent? Maybe a Sunday school teacher? Who was it that God used for you? Well, God used them to help you come become a follower of Jesus. Now, as you grow, it's your turn. God wants to use you to share your faith with someone else so that they can become followers of Jesus. See, it's the gospel full, full circle. It's the way that God designed for the church to operate from the very beginning. Here's the problem. Many people make the choice to follow Jesus. Salvation's great. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. This is great. This is what they do. <sighs> Just waiting for heaven. Going to enjoy the ride. Live for what they want. Following a career, following their own hobbies, desires. Never keeping in mind that, meanwhile, God has given us a great mission to accomplish in this world. And there's a purpose that God has given us that is much greater than, than ourselves. And there's something that God wants to do in us and through us that will have eternal impact and not just give you a temporary number of, uh, a, a num of decimals in your bank account. There's something bigger. There's something better God has for all of us. There's a greater impact God wants to use us to have as his church. And the greatest part about it, it's not something that just benefits us. It's something that saves lives. From, from hell, yes, but it also saves marriages. It also saves homes. It also saves kids from being raised in homes that would otherwise not have been good and turning out in a, in a way that would not be good. Friend, it saves lives knowing Jesus Christ. And that is the great impact of what being a disciple of Jesus Christ God intends to use it to have. Now we understand this. Hey, it's not we who make disciples of other people. It's God that does it through us. He's the one that calls people to be saved. He's the one that works in their heart. He might use us in some capacity to do that. But hey, I don't make you grow in your faith either. That's the work of God's Spirit in your heart too. As, as, hey, I might teach you something from the Word, or maybe some other a person will teach you something from the Word, or maybe you just read the Scriptures for yourself and God begins to teach you. But it's God that does the growing of His disciples as well. And as that process takes place, it's also God that begins to use those same people who at one time were brand new believers to grow in their faith and reach other people with the Gospel. And that is the direction that God wants to take every one of us. Friend, I can't challenge you enough. Don't be content to sit in a pew every week and have this time be your one time you hear the scriptures every week. God is calling us to continue in his word. So as he works in our hearts and, and brings us to maturity, he can then use us to help other people come to know Christ as their Savior the great purpose that God has given for us as the church. And the truth of the matter is, I hope this is okay if I share this, Miss Margie. And I won't use all the names I'm involved because I didn't ask permission. 
But I love this. I think it was about three years ago, was it, Miss Margie, that God worked in your heart? About, about two and a half years ago. Now, she got saved when she was, when she was a, a lot younger, but I, I had just been away from the Lord, and boy, God worked in her heart and helped her come to understand the finished work of Jesus Christ. And she became sure in that. And she's grown over these past two years. And I remember earlier this year, she just she told me almost with tears in her eyes, Pastor, I, I really want to see someone else come to know Jesus. I just want to be a part of that. She prayed, sought for that opportunity, and it was one of the last days of the year, last year, that God brought that opportunity. Amen. And Miss Margie was able to, to lead someone in this room whose name I won't say because I don't want to embarrass them, but someone in this room to make the decision to trust Jesus as their Savior. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. And you say, well, that's her. Well, that could be you. There's nothing special about her or me. It's God that brings the increase. God wants to do that in you. God wants to do that in me. And friend, that's the call to discipleship that God is giving to us from the Scriptures here. And would to God we come to understand that. Now, along with our theme this year, there is a symbol. You see it up there on the screen? What is it? It's a fish. Some of you called it by its proper name because you knew what it was called. But it's a fish. And it's really something that is much more than that. It's a symbol going back to the first century of early Christianity, as tradition says. Because in the early days of Christianity, there was a lot of persecution happening for Christians. And so something that individuals would do to be able to nonchalantly, without giving themselves away, find out if someone they were talking to was a Christian, is they would draw the top line of this symbol. And if the other individual was a follower of Christ, they had been let in on the other part of it. And they would draw the bottom line. And it was a way for Christians to identify themselves to each other. Now, it's, you say, why did they use the fish? Well, the Greek word for fish is uh, ichthys. And the letters of the Greek word, they form an acrostic. And that's why they say it was used for this. Uh, the I is uh, the iota. It stands for the Greek word uh, iosius. And then the chi, it stands for the Greek word Christos. And the epsilon, it stands for the Greek word yeos. And the sigma stands for the Greek word soter. And then, so this is all, this is all Greek to you, I know. Um, <laughs> but when you put all these words together in English... What it literally means is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. And so that's why they used the fish. But it was a way for them as disciples to identify themselves to each other. And so here's my question for you this morning. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Friend, if you've been following religion or trusting in your own righteousness or your own goodness, it's time to have a repentance of that. That will never save you. Today, you can come, learn from the Bible of Jesus' finished work on your, beh your behalf. He paid for your sins on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He can save you today if you'll put your faith in Him. Choose to follow Him and what the Scripture says about how you can be saved. You can be saved today. If you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come today. Let us show you how you can become a follower of Jesus. There's no greater choice you'll make in this year or in your life.
than to come trust Jesus as your Savior. If you're a man, I'm going to have a man up here to talk with you about it. If you're a lady, I'm going to have a lady up here to talk with you about trusting Jesus. If you've not trusted him, I want to invite you to come here in just a minute. But I know many of you in here are followers of Jesus. And so this is what I've done. This is our theme for this year. This is something that we need to focus on this year. I'm going to ask you, followers of Jesus Christ, to identify yourselves. And I'm going to ask you to come and make a decision along with me as we begin this year. Each one of us as followers of Christ. To not sit and grow stale in those seats, but to be willing to let God's Word continue in our hearts and God's Spirit continue to work in our hearts and grow us to a place where we are reaching others with the gospel, where we are sharing our faith with others. Friend, today I'm drawing a line. I'm asking you to come fill in the other side. In fact, I went so far that I got all kinds of papers up here this morning. Now, I did not personally draw all these lines. My printer did personally draw all these lines, though. I drew the top line. I'm going to ask you to come and draw the bottom. Listen, this isn't about a public show. This is about a personal decision in your heart. Will you commit to make, mature, and multiply? That's the purpose God, God has us still here as the church. Will you commit at whatever level you need to grow in as a disciple of Jesus Christ? God wants to use us to have a more of an impact in the lives of people who desperately need the gospel today. We need to commit together to fulfill the mission that God has given to us as his church. So during this invitation, I know there's a lot of people in here. I am fully aware of that. And I'm fully aware some of you can't come forward and that's okay. But I'm going to ask you to come. And I'm going to ask you to draw the other line and spend a moment in prayer and commit as God has spoken to your heart, to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ this year. And as others come, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to come over to me. I want to introduce you to someone who can show you how you can become a follower of Jesus today, how you can be saved. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes.